Romans, the second chapter. We're going to begin today. I initially thought that perhaps Romans 2 wouldn't take near as long as chapter 1 to get through, and, and it probably won't, but it doesn't seem it's going to be as quick as I initially thought. And here's what I want us to do today. I want us to read the entire chapter. And in the midst of reading the entire chapter, be looking for how Paul is tying everything back to what he has already said. Be looking at, he is addressing those who perhaps may be thinking, and I'll be talking about this later, you know, that list that Paul had and and talking about all the perverse things that happened, that, that there may be some going, you know, he's not talking about me. I don't do those things. And perhaps there may be some Jews that were listening going, well, that doesn't apply to me at all. But Paul is going to bring it home. And in the first three chapters of Roman, again, we'll be talking of this more. That's his purpose in these first three chapters is to drive this point home of the need for salvation in Christ Jesus. So, I pray that you'll fight the good fight of faith as we read an entire chapter. Just I pray that the Holy Spirit can move and do a mighty work just in reading His Word if we will be attentive and, and just say, Lord, speak. Help me to hear what You would have me to hear. And, and, and I understand that in the midst of, of young to old in here that, that for some, uh, they're not ready for some of these things. And, and the Lord grants a filter. If, can I say that? It, it seems uh, for, for some to not take some of these things in quite yet because they're not ready. But for some of us, we need it. And we need to hear it. And so Romans 2, we're going to read the entire chapter. From the New King James Version, verse 1. Therefore... You are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many 
have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And Father, help us now. Give us understanding. Uh, Lord, give us ears to hear from you this day. And, and Lord, I protect, pray that you would protect me from error, that you would guard the hearts and minds of the listener and, and help them to hear what you would have them hear this day. So word of God, speak. Help us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Now, anytime we come to a new section and it begins as Paul begins with the first Verse, therefore, we have to pause at least for a moment to consider that. Therefore, in light of what has just been said, or continuing with what has just been said, or what I'm about to say is in direct relationship with what I have just said, therefore, so... We have to take a moment and just hit the highlight of what he has just said. Just for a moment, this will be brief. And Paul gives the great theme of the entire letter of the book of Romans 
Uh, we, we talked about this in some detail several weeks ago, but verses, let's take verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, you see, in other words, for in the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. See, the gospel is the great proclamation of God providing a righteousness for man by faith. It's not a righteousness that man produces of himself. It's not a righteousness of works, but it is a righteousness given by God. Then, then in verse 18, Paul explains why this is necessary. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And this is the theme of Romans, that the righteousness from God is the only way of righteousness, and that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's the great theme that that Paul is going to keep hounding on and hounding on. You you get the bad news first. You understand that. You may think, well, preacher, man, this book of Romans is pretty heavy. Well, that's intentional. That's Paul is laying us out. He wants no one to have an excuse. He wants everyone to see that they need the righteousness of God. And that's why he's coming in with hard it's coming in hard. And it's all by the being inspired by the Holy Spirit that Paul writes these things. That the righteousness from God is the only way of righteousness and that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Then Paul goes on to say that for the ungodly and the unrighteous, there will be no excuse. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His, God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Again, we went into great detail in talking about this several weeks ago. Then, throughout the remainder of the chapter, Paul works out this truth in the horrendous description of the condition of men. Paul states that God has abandoned them, has given them up to uncleanness and vile passions to commit these things that are shameful, that God has given them over to a debased mind, a, pro, a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not fitting. Then Paul gives that long list of sins and, and ends with verse 32. Let's just jump to verse 32 who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, remember that list is not all-inclusive, those who practice such kind of things are deserving of, what, you say it with me, death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. See, there will be no excuse For those who practice these things. For God has revealed Himself to all mankind. His attributes are clearly seen. 
And those who practice such things are deserving of death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, you know the verse, for the wages of sin is death, but... Then he gives a little good news here in chapter 6. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of righteousness, the gift of faith, mercy, grace. And, And so here Paul has gone through some pretty murky things, wasn't it? There at the end of chapter 1. And he's talking that those who practice such things are deserving of death. And it's as though he hears someone in the crowd shout out, Amen! That's right. Those repulsive, terrible acting people are deserving to wrath. That's what they deserve. To which Paul immediately responds, verse 1 in chapter 2, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, who, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same things. See, Paul knew. He knew their heart. I believe the Lord had revealed His audience to him. And let me just say, who, who is this old man? O man, that Paul is addressing. Now, if you've studied the book of Romans, you've gone to several different commentators, and 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 I've told you before, uh, I read anything I can find, Piper, MacArthur, Begg, um, but, but today, <laughs> you read Lloyd-Jones, I'm leaning heavily on what I read from Lloyd-Jones today. And there's varying opinions here. And let me give you this. Some commentators say that Paul is still addressing the pagan, the Gentile, and will not address in particular the Jews until we reach verse 17. Let's put that up, verse 17. Uh, because clearly here, indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. So some, some think that, that Paul is addressing uh, the, the Gentile, the pagan, until that verse, and then in particular he is he is talking to the Jew. But but for now, here's where I'm at. I'm with those who believe that Paul is addressing both the Jew and the Gentile in verse one. And I say that, and the reason I believe that is is because uh, because of the reference given in in verses eight through eleven. Let's look at that. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish. That's what's coming to them. On every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also the Greek. And then it seems, again, it seems to me, is he still talking, he's talking to the Jews too. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So I believe, again, that's where I'm at for right now. I believe that Paul is addressing both the Jew and the Greek, and then Paul will address the Jews in particular when he gets to verse 17. And that'll be another sermon down the road. Uh, that he will address them in particular. So, so I believe that in, in verse 1, that perhaps there could be a 
moral pagan listening. Now, does that make sense when I even say that? A moral pagan? Because not, not, not all pagans, not all Gentiles commit the particular sins and perversion that Paul spoke of in chapter 1, do they? There would be those who would say, because there's unbelievers yet today that would say, well, that's not me. I, I don't commit those horrible sins. I'm a good person. I'm okay. He's not talking about me here. I'm not a horrible, terrible sinner. But we know the rest of the story, don't we, child of God? But we know the rest of the story. We know that Paul is is going to continue this relentless indictment upon the sin of mankind. And I think that's a pretty good way to put put it. A relentless indictment. He's not going to let up. Here in chapter 2, and he's going to continue it in chapter 3. And so I want to just for a moment go ahead and jump forward into chapter 3, and let's read verse 9 through 20. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And Paul's not letting up. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongue they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet is swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, why? That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Let me pause it. That's why we have the law. To show that we are sinners. It's our tutor that will bring us to God. By showing us our sin and revealing sin. Now verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, in the Lord's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Then he will go on to verse 23 that we all know. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. So in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is out to totally dismantle any thought of a righteousness apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is out to firmly state that all are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All Gentiles, all Greeks, all Jews, all guilty before God. There will be no excuse for sin apart from the gospel. Does it seem clear that that's what Paul is doing? To many it will. To some, it won't mean a thing. See, because here, let's think about this for the Jew. Think about this for a moment. When Paul said uh, in verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. See, that rubbed the Jew, as they say, the wrong way. 
See, this was an absolute fallacy. This was blasphemy to the ear of the Jew. The Jews at that time divided the whole world into two groups. Jews, non-Jews. Pagans or Gentiles. They called them dogs. Jews, everyone else, dogs. Two categories. That's what they had. Two categories. On one hand, the Jews, the chosen people of God. On their other hand, the dogs, the outsiders, those people without the law. And the Jews' attitude toward them was one of utter condemnation. They viewed the Gentiles as beyond hope with absolutely no possibility of salvation. There was no redemption available to the dogs, to those on the outside. That's That was their belief. And here comes Paul. <laughs> See, when Paul said in Romans 1, you can put up uh, verse 26 in Romans 1. I think I've got that. For this reason... Uh, I got the wrong thing. I'm sorry there. I meant to have verse 16. I don't know if you could pop that in there real quick. Romans 1, 16. Here, I'll just read it. We know it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. See, when Paul said that, it, it would have hit the Jews on two levels. First, they felt that they did not need salvation because they were God's chosen people. Not talking to us. Why why do why do you mention us? We don't need that. And second, as I've already mentioned, he, he mentioned to the Jews first and also the Greek or the Gentile, the Gentiles were beyond the point of salvation. They hated the message of Paul. And that should come as no surprise because they hated the message of Jesus Christ, didn't they? Why did the Pharisees hate Jesus so badly? Because He pointed out their sin. And they hated Him for it to the point that they had Him crucified. Again, as Paul writes chapter 2, it's as though he knows of the arguments that are coming. Have you tried to witness and talk to someone about their sin? And people will often, when they're confronted about sin, will start arguing their point and perspective. They will start justifying their lives and their lifestyles. And Paul anticipates this. The Jews would say, but Paul, how could you say that there is no partiality with God? That, that we and the Gentiles are the same. We have the law, Paul. Come on, Paul. We have the law. God gave it to us and no one else. That is proof that we are His people and that we are saved. That we have salvation. We don't need your justification by faith. See, that would be the argument. And Paul knew it. Because he'd been there. And then it's as though Paul anticipates the next argument. But Paul, but, but Paul, we also bear on our bodies the sign of the covenant. We, we have circumcision. We have been set apart from the Gentiles. How can you even try to lump us together with them? We have nothing to do with them. 
Don't say that we are as guilty as they are and that we need justification by faith only. We are Jews and we can prove that we are Jews. We have been circumcised. You see the arguments that would come. And Paul knows. And he's hitting them in this letter before they can ever be asked. Because this was the Jewish Jewish position. The Jews thought that they were in an entirely separate category and therefore they must never be considered together with the Gentiles. And Paul will deal with each argument in chapter 2 and 3. I would just say this, because today this is just an overview of chapter 2. Can can any of this so far apply to any of us today? Yeah. 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 Perhaps quite obviously would be to read a passage of Scripture or hear a sermon and immediately start thinking either, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like the sinners that the preacher is talking about, or, well, too bad old so-and-so wasn't here today. Well, they really needed to hear that. And to perhaps miss the point of examining ourselves to what the passage or message might truly have to say to us. Because Paul anticipated that's what some of these will do. And people do it every Sunday. And every time perhaps they pick up the Bible and read, they'll pick out the pieces that they like. Won't read the hard stuff. Won't read the convicting stuff. Won't read those passages that may, as they would say, step on their toes. No, no, that's, uh, we'll just leave them. We'll skip over this part. I'm like, I'm sure glad I'm not like those other guys. Does that sound familiar? That sound like a Pharisee that Jesus talked about? Let's read that. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Also, he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. <laughs> Who's he talking about? And if we're all honest, we are all tempted with that very thing from time to time, are we not? Well, they're just getting what they deserve. Instead of having compassion that they might be lost and need the Lord. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector who was despised by the people of the day. Understand that. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And you get the image. I fast twice a week. It was only required once. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. 
and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If they will not humble themselves on this side of glory one day before him, every knee will bow. But then it will be too late. In Matthew 5, verse 20, Scripture hits the Pharisee hard. Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's he saying of the scribes and Pharisees? Are they going to enter? No. And, and know this, Jesus was not saying that to get to heaven, a person must have a higher degree of the same kind of righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees had. It's not what he's saying but rather that we must have a totally different and higher righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees had. The righteousness of God through Christ, through faith. See, may we not say, well, I'm glad I'm not like them, but rather say, Lord, is there any sin in me? Humble ourselves before Him. But, but and the argument would keep going. But, but I'm a good person. I don't do those things. I don't do those things that Paul talked about. But boy, there's a lot of people that do. Man, just turn on the news, man. Just look at the newspaper. Just look around. Boy, there's a lot of people. And so, boy, they deserve they deserve the wrath of God. But not me. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm, I'm not a fornicator. That's not me. And you'll hear these arguments. Well, let's see what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 21-22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now let me pause here just for a moment. Because, uh, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And there will be many people that will take that and use it in ways that it should not be used because perhaps the better translation would be thou shalt not murder. Because there's a difference, isn't there? Because if you take it, thou shalt not kill, you have to scratch out an awful lot of the Old Testament, don't you? Of where God Himself said to go in and kill everything, including animals, people, they were doing at the command of God. But murder is different, isn't it? Murder is usually preconceived, pre-thought. Murder is out of anger, covetousness, or something else. Did you see the difference? I just wanted to throw that. I know I say that from time to time, but since it was here, I wanted to take the moment just to say that. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now can a murderer on death row come to know salvation through Christ Jesus by, by grace? Yes. 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 Uh, as long as there's breath. As long as there's breath. There's that possibility. Verse 22, But I say to you, Jesus says, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So someone says, well, I don't murder. That's not me. Wait a minute. Have you ever been angry with anybody? Jesus said, that's just as bad as murder. That's going to put you in the same category as the murder. Let's go a little bit further. Matthew 5, verse 27, 28. Oh, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a fornicator. Well, let's read. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Have you ever been angry with someone? Have you ever lusted? Man or woman, doesn't matter. Have you ever lusted in your mind? If so, adulterer and murderer. You see that? And this is those things that Paul is trying to bring home. There is none righteous. No, not one. Therefore, you are an inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in what you judge another, you condemn yourself. There is not one of us that is perfect, not one. And may we not be pointing fingers at others while ignoring the sin in our own life. Amen? You're getting your ears tickled. That's that's not what this is about, is it? This is about examination. This is about getting to root, to the root. They will not be pointing fingers. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not consider the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. What a picture. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, Jesus says. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. In other words, what? Repent. Repent. Repent, repent. First, remove the plank from your own eyes, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And after you have repented, that's in in that quote. But after that, after you have repented, you may see that brother through different eyes. You know that. Maybe you thought that speck was, and that may have been something of your own making. Perhaps not, but perhaps yes. See, it is rather astounding that we can see the sin and faults in others so clearly and yet find it difficult to see exactly the same thing in ourselves. And perhaps even if it is pointed out to us of this sin, of this speck, or of this plank, many times we are ready with an excuse or a way to explain it away. No, that, 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 that's, that's not what I'm doing. No, 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 that, that's them. That's not me. And blinded by our own sin. Do we have examples in the Word of God? Oh, yes, we do. And perhaps the 
One of the the classic example would be uh, David's sin with Bathsheba. We're not going to go there and read it today. You know the story. You can go back and read it yourself. But you know the story. Nathan told the king of a cruel man who to spare his own flock killed the one ewe lamb of a poor man in order to entertain an unexpected guest. And David was filled with indignation. Righteous indignation. This man must be dealt with. This, this is terrible. This man must die. And the poor man must be repaid fourfold. You know the story. But then the prophet looked at David and said what? You are the man. David, I'm talking about you. You see, when it was a question of taking a lamb, David could see it clearly. But when it was a matter of taking another man's wife, he could not see it at all because he was the man who had done it. And he had justified this whole act in his mind. I'm okay. No, he wasn't. You are the man. See, and it's that, that same, it's given as an example, wasn't it? Given as an example for us yet today, way back then, Jesus, the words that he had to say in the Sermon on the Mount and, and in his other teaching while here yet walking on this earth, that the teaching of, of, of the apostles, the same thing echoing throughout Scripture. We can see things so clearly in others, but cannot see them in ourselves. And not only that, we are so ready to denounce others and to judge them and condemn them that we do not realize as we are doing so that we are in reality simply condemning ourselves. Jesus put it very clearly beginning of Chapter 7, Matthew 7, first two verses. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Paul said, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in, or in whatever you judge, Another, you condemn yourselves for you who practice the same, for you who judge practice the same things. Again, Paul knew his audience. He knew that there were some who were indeed practicing sin. And sin was an ongoing part of their lives. They could not see it. And apart from a miracle of grace, neither would any of us had seen our sin. Remember the Apostle Paul. A Pharisee of Pharisee. That's who Paul was. Don't forget that. And Jesus had said this. Let's read. I talked about how Jesus was always talking about the Pharisees. Let's read just a couple passages. Let's go to Mark 7. Mark 7, 5-9. through 9. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked Him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Who eat, but eat bread with unwashed hands. See, they're always trying to trick Jesus, weren't they? They're always trying to get him. But what did Jesus always do? He turned the tables on him, didn't he? 
They were being so smug. I can almost picture it. He, Jesus, answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. <laughs> Didn't take him long, did it? Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Here he is. You guys are the keepers, keepers of the law. Here, this is, this is Isaiah the prophet, the one that you hold dear, the one that you hold up, and the one that you have, have learned so well what he has written. He was talking of you, you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He answered them directly to the thing that they just asked. Keeps going, verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. He said, oh yeah, you've got your tradition, but you're not keeping the commands of God. He would go on. Let's go to Matthew 23. Listen to this. Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may also may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You go to the cemetery, to the graveyard, even a mausoleum or a tomb that's all carved out and whitewashed and can almost seem pretty, but you know what's inside? Dead men's bones. And Jesus said, that's what you are. And the Apostle Paul had been one of these Pharisees. <laughs> Doesn't that amaze you? Can God transform a life? Ooh, yes, He can. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Think of, think of Paul. Think of all the things he did. And, and Paul talked about it in, in, in Philippians, the third chapter. Let, let's read a, a portion here of Paul talking about this. Um, Philippians 3, verses 2 through 14. Beware the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Remember what, remember what was said? Circumcision is not of that outwardly, but that of the heart. That of the heart. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so, and he gives his credentials. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. 
concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. For what things were gained of me, these I counted loss. The things I once held dear, now I count as loss. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being confident to His being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have, apprehend, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> See, this is the born again Paul. No longer a Pharisee, but now born of God. Those who are truly born of God, true believers, will no longer practice sin. Now, I did not say they will no longer sin. I said they will no longer practice sin. Because will we have momentary stumbles? Yes. Yes, we will. But this I believe. As we continue to walk with the Lord, those moments will become fewer and fewer as we are continuously being molded more and more into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ our Lord. That sanctification that takes place as we learn, as, as we look to the Word of God and as we obey. I believe those moments of stumble will become fewer or at least it seems to me they should. And if we do stumble, if we do fall, I believe the true child of God will be convicted and that God the Father will not leave His children out there, but He will bring them back. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins... He, the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, have you confessed your sins? Have you confessed your sins? See, this is what Paul keeps pounding on in the first three chapters of Romans that all are sinners in need of repentance. Everyone. All. Jew. Greek. Gentile. All. And Paul keeps chipping away at that false facade. Oh, but, but I'm not as bad as they are. I, 
Well, I'm glad I don't do those things. Well, I'm a good person. I don't need this justification by grace through faith that you're talking about. Me and God, we got this all worked out. I've heard that very excuse. I don't need it. Well, yes, you do. We all do. Without it, you will be forever condemned. See, Paul hasn't yet gotten to the good news yet in chapter 2, but, but, but let me tell you the good news of the Gospel. Jesus came to this earth that He created to provide a way to God the Father. To provide a way to true forgiveness. We said earlier, the wages, the cost of sin is death. Jesus came to pay the cost of sin, the penalty of sin, by giving Himself as a ransom for sinners, by dying upon the cross, by taking upon Himself the wrath of God to become the propitiation for sin for all who would believe. And I would ask again, do you believe? Have you confessed? Do you believe? Believe that Jesus died on the cross and in three days He rose again so that we would have a living hope that when we die, we too will be raised under eternal life with Jesus Christ. You know, I talked about the Jews classifying people into two groups, the Jew and the non-Jew. Well, that's not the two groups. The two groups are the believers and the unbelievers. And that's the only two groups there are on the face of this planet. One or the other. You either believe unto eternal life with Christ or you remain in your unbelief and the wrath of God abides on you. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son in Christ has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Everlasting life to the believer, the wrath of God for the unbeliever. Blessed are those who have believed. Let's read again John 3. Verses 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. That's why He came. Romans 10, you know, you see, we keep going. If you keep going further, further over into, into Romans, you start hearing a little more good news, don't you? Romans 10, that if you confess, if you confess, have you confessed, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from the wrath of God that will one day fall upon all unbelievers. That's what you'll be saved from. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between... Paul, he keeps saying it. He keeps saying it. He keeps saying it. He keeps saying it. There is no distinction. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. See, the question is, are you still in your sin? And as you examine yourself, has the Holy Spirit revealed that indeed you are a practicing sinner? That it is your day-by-day practice of life. No repentance. No guilt. No shame. Just happy in your sin. A happy sinner. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we may die. Not realizing what that will bring. I'm okay. I've not done any of those real bad things that Paul talked about. I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, let me tell you this. Sin is sin. And you're not okay. Lord have mercy. Because Paul wants all to know that apart from, apart from Christ, all is condemned. But if you are in Christ, if you are truly born again, let me give you some more good news that's coming in Romans 8. So let's turn to Romans 8 as we prepare to close. Consider this. Romans 8, we're going to read uh, through verse 11. Because I've been talking about condemnation. Haven't I? A lot. Paul's been talking about it. But for the truly born again, for those who know Christ, those who have believed, those who have confessed, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. (laughs) Praise the Lord. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now this is talking of spiritual identity. You're either still in the flesh without the Spirit, or you are born of God, born of the Spirit. You see, it's talking identity before God. So then, those who are in the flesh only in the flesh, you see, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, 
Wait a minute, I'm still in the flesh. It's talking spiritually. It's talking identity. Don't confuse when it gets talking about these things. It's not talking about this, this material fleshly body. It's talking spiritually. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. This, this is a verse I use when, when oh, how do I know I'm saved? Right here it is. You know you're truly saved because you have the Spirit of God in you. Let's keep going. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That's what Scotty was talking about this morning. At the moment of our salvation, our regeneration, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. That's how we know. That's the only way we can know that we're saved, that we have the Holy Spirit. And all then to live for Him, live for Him, oh Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. But, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let me pause. Whose righteousness? Christ's. Christ's righteousness. A righteousness that's not of our own, but been given, imputed to us. And and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you are raised, you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So for those who are born again, we have good news. For those who are yet in their sin, there's bad news. And you have to come to that realization that there is bad news that you are lost and that you are a sinner. That's where it has to start. There can be, can there be salvation without recognizing sin? No. No. There must be an acknowledgement of sin. And that can only true happen when the Lord shines light into darkness and his glory and His holiness and His righteousness is revealed. You know, the bright lights are up here. It, it's much brighter than that. Think of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Brought to his knees. And I believe that's a picture of what happens. That in light of His glory, of His grace, of His holiness and righteousness, when a sinner comes face to face to that, they have no other recourse but to fall on their face before Him. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need You. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks for Your Word. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that Your Spirit moved along by the truth of Your Word, would do a mighty work of grace, would perform a miracle of mercy that can only come from You. Not by any words that I may say. I have no persuasive words that can make anyone become a Christian. But it's only by You. By You shining light, into a dark place by you revealing yourself 
through the sinner and in doing so, revealing to them their sin. So Lord, I pray that you would do that. In doing, and in doing so, that you would have mercy, that you would grant faith to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by grace through faith, that as, as they would call upon you and repent and confess of their sins, that you would grant them repentance. Lord, that you would bring them to yourself to forever hold them, that they might come to realize that now in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation and that they are free indeed. So Lord, have mercy. And Lord, for us who are born again, I pray that You would help us not be like a Pharisee. Help us not be the person that is uncompassionate. The Father, when we see others who are struggling in sin, and are going down a terrible path, let us not say, well, I'm so glad that's not me, because, but for the grace of God, that could be us. But Lord, rather, let us have a heart of compassion to pray, to do what we could do humanly possible for them, but as best we can to be obedient to You as You would give us indication of what we should do, or perhaps of what we should say, and to pray that You would have mercy. So Lord, help us to learn. As we go through the book of Romans, we know there is so much more. So Father, help us to take it all in. Help us to be rooted even deeper in Your great truths and of Your great doctrines. We need You. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.